You're listening to AD Profile. This chat was recorded live in front of an audience at Enco Coworking Space in Jersey City as part of AD Live, a monthly fireside chat series featuring local luminaries produced and presented to you by AD Magazine. Located on the second floor of Charles & Co., Enco is Jersey City's premier social and cultural workplace. Designed for the passionate and productive, Enco is a place where people can dream bigger, work better, and imagine more. Your host is the creative director of 80, Marinel Montales. Enjoy the show. Thanks for coming. My name is Marinel. I'm seeing a lot of new faces here tonight, so you guys probably are not familiar with me or 80, um, but uh, I am the creative director for 80 Magazine. Um, if you haven't seen it, they're over here. There are probably some over there by the table. These are my children. Aren't they pretty? Um, there are four issues out right now, but uh, we're coming out with the um, fifth one in January. Hopefully there are no delays, but um, you guys, let me just stop and breathe. Okay. All right, I'm ready. Um, okay, so if you're not familiar with 80, it's, we say that it's a large format, design-driven quarterly. Um, we profile a lot of like cool people, like the most fascinating people working and living in Jersey City. Actually, a lot of you guys um, are here, like have been featured in the magazine, I think. Yeah. Um, Anyway, it's a free magazine, so you can grab a copy if you haven't seen it uh, on your way out. Um, Tonight is the second installment of our monthly fireside chat series called 80 Live at ENCO. Uh, Each month, we try to bring the magazine to life, so we sit on this couch with an awesome guest and talk about the theme that orbits around the current issue. But before we get started, I'd like to give props to the people who helped make this happen tonight. Um, Oops, sorry. Sorry, Jeff. My roommate, Lauren. Hey, girl. She is bartending tonight. She was also here last month um, <laughs> helping tend the bar. I think we should just crown her as like the official 80 bartender, right? Right? Yeah. Yes. Hello. Okay. Um, and uh, who else? Erin, our photographer, who is here despite a very short notice. Um, Thank you. And Jeff, my sound guy over here from Cobra Sound, he's making sure that Elaine and I sound good tonight because we are actually recording this event live uh, for our podcast. Um, Yay, right? (laughs) Um, We have a new podcast called 80 Profiles. So if you missed the last month uh, event, it's on our website. If you go to 80mag.com slash podcast, you can listen to it and send it to friends. It's on iTunes as well, so you can subscribe. Um, I'd also like to thank Michelle from Busy Bee Organics. Uh, she is serving up all the yummy, healthy food tonight. Thanks, Michelle. You should uh, talk to her about her uh, organic meal delivery plans and uh, follow her on Instagram, Busy Bee Organics. And finally, I'd like to thank the ENCO team for hosting us here every month. Um, If you didn't have the time to order space when you walked in, you can grab Rowan over here, with his hand raised over there, uh, to schedule a tour, or you you can ask him all your burning questions about the membership here. Um, I'm a member, so you guys should be members too. Okay, all right. You're probably wondering, was this pretty gal next to me? Um, joining me tonight is our guest, Elaine Santos, Hello. representing the Bergen Hill neighborhood of Jersey City. Uh, Elaine made an appearance in issue four, right here. She's on page 15. Um, okay, so Elaine directs interior design practice for Barlis Wedlick. It's a Manhattan and Hudson, New York-based architecture and interior design firm. Her designs have been nominated for Interior Design Magazine's Best of Year Award. Nice. And uh, landed on the cover of the home section of the New York Times. Hey. Okay. 
And Elaine uh, views every project as an opportunity to connect person to place, to animate a space with the context provided by the goals and aspirations of her clients. Everyone, please help me welcome Elaine. Thank you. All right. Um, well, you also already know this, but I'm also a designer by trade. I do uh, UX and UI design, but I'm not, I wasn't always interested in it. I think I kind of got into it like post-college only. Um, I didn't go to school for it. I taught myself how to do it, but you went to school. Uh, you got your BFA at um, Parsons and then your interior design. No, you got your BFA at... Um, BFA at FIT, then and went then to Parsons. Parsons for interior yep. design. Um, did you always know that you had like a, the flair for like design? Were you always interested in like furniture and like, you know, like architecture and like space planning and all that stuff? Like how did it all started? I should have known <laughs> when I was younger. I would literally take my mom's room apart and make a boutique out of it. And I would make nice. my dad come shop like he was, you know, a client. And I would just tag everything and like really style it up to the point where they didn't sleep in it because they felt bad dismantling this boutique that I did. Nice. <laughs> so there was like branding happening there. I was, had bags logo, with logos on them and everything like that. But my journey wasn't so sort of clean cut, and I went to school for advertising and marketing, okay. which I thought was going to be such a creative field and just kind of um, a very sort of organic experience and just kind of learning how to package things and make up logos, and I always like knew that I had a passion for it, and I wanted to go to school for something very creative, but coming from Portuguese parents, it needed to have like a business background or something serious, mm -hmm. more serious than design. Right. Um, so I worked for Cody. They're sort of like a French kind of um, fragrance beauty brand. And I hated it. <laughs> hated every single what did moment you do there? of it. Brand launches and just sort of competitive analysis. And so all like these, more on the marketing Everything side. was marketing. Yeah. Everything was spreadsheets. I would spend all my time any creative time I would have, I would sort of go into the creative department. It was a whole other floor, and I would just, like, talk to the creative directors there. And I always found them to be, like, the most interesting people ever. Then I would go back to my desk, and I would look at more spreadsheets. So I sort of said, I, I've got to, like, reevaluate this. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what do you do? You kind of, like, you graduated. You did everything you were supposed to do. Um, I went back to school. And I went back to school to Parsons. I liked their program. Um, my partner went to Parsons and only had amazing things to say about it. So I checked out the program, and they had a postgraduate sort of um, program that was taught only by architects, and that was, like, really interesting and inspiring to me. Um, so it was a very intensive, like, two years. It was just everything that you're supposed to, like, learn in four years. They're basically cramming it into two years, and then they're setting you off in the world. Yeah. Um, but I loved it. I would stay until, like, 4 o'clock in the morning, studio. We would hide in lockers because they closed the, the computer labs. And it was, I, I did it. I did it very selflessly. And I, I, I knew that I was like very passionate about it. And I found that fulfillment that I was looking for in marketing. Yeah. So that so was you, my journey. Yeah. You weren't born here. You were, I was born you here. You was born here. Yeah. And, um, but your parents are Portuguese. Mm -hmm. And uh, did you grow up in Nutley or? In Nutley. So an only child, we would travel back and forth from Portugal like okay. three, four times a year. So I kind of felt like I grew up half here and half in Europe. I was sort of confused as a child. So yeah. my mom would send me very interesting things for lunch, and I didn't know what to do with them. How often did you go back to Portugal? <laughs> three, four years. It was sort of like I really had kind of both worlds happening. My whole family is still there. So oh, wow. we have like no one here. I think my parents always thought that they were going to head back, but then they never did. Mm -hmm. So... Would you say that your uh, design has something truly Portuguese about them? I would say, I mean, if anybody kind of looks at Portuguese antiques and these sort of like early 16th century pieces that you would find in these like historic homes in Portugal, they're very like worked and there's a lot of turned legs and all this like intricate detail. And I think that's what I still look for in a modern day craftsman, you know, just kind of looking for projects and just kind of sourcing out there. I kind of look for that person that has that eye to detail and is going to add that one more embellishment. And I, I do attribute that to my heritage just mm -hmm. because 
that's what surrounds you when you're there. A lot of sort of ornamentation and a lot of intricacy. Yeah. So, so you live in Bergen Hill now. Yeah. That's not Bergen Lafayette, right? Is anyone here from Bergen Lafayette or Bergen Hill? It's, no. It's Bergen Hill. Bergen Lafayette, I think, is the main sort of, you know, kind of <laughs> neighborhood. space, neighborhood. Um, yeah. And we're, yeah, we've been there for five years now, and we, mm. we really love it. Do you like it? What yeah. do you love about Jersey City? I... It's funny because I never really understood how large Jersey City is, but living here for five years now, I, I quite understand that it takes a while to get from one end to the other. But I like the fact that it still feels very small. Every neighborhood mm-hmm. still has its sort of like distinct personality. If you're downtown, if you're in Paulus Hook, if you're Exchange Place, you know, you're just, they're so, they're so varied and so different. And yeah. where we are is very neighborhood. I mean, we, we were here during Sandy, and everybody really pulled together. And mm-hmm. that's rare in a really big city. So. What do you think is the design personality of Bergen Hill? I, I think it's, it's very kind of, um, I want to say it's a nod to the history that was there, you know, because you still get a lot of um, older buildings and a lot of untouched brownstones and just sort of townhouses and sort of like different styles of architecture. And because we are on a hill, some of the largest houses are still up there um, and have either been restored or in the process of being restored and or sadly knocked down. But um, I still love the fact that you could still see what it looked like Mm -hmm. years ago in the early 1900s. Do you live in a a brownstone? We live in an 1870s sort of like row house. Nice. Uh, Is it on Pacific? I'm like going to stop. Okay. Where is it? Stop me anytime here. Yeah. Um, um, Madison. So we're okay. right on Madison. So. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. So your home must look impeccable. Um, can you like describe, like, is there like a, a, a corner in the room that is your favorite because like you designed yourself or you have like a stamp, your own stamp on it? Um, I would I would say it's sort of like the shoemaker's kids, that saying, where you do it for everybody else, and then your house is still the last <laughs> one to be done. Yeah. Um, ours is coming along slowly. We're doing a lot of the restoration work, so it's um, 1870s, like, Italianate style, so it has oh. still, like, the big moldings and things like that. So we, my partner, I should say, <laughs> we're restoring it slowly but surely, so I... Because I am around architecture and architects so much, I take my cues from, like, architecture. I kind of, like, want to look to see what the bones are and kind of mm. be reverent to what was. I mean, we're, we're trying to freshen up a very traditional look, but at the same time kind of giving a nod to, like, all the craftsmen that made it happen because yeah. it's pretty special stuff. So Yeah. Um, you brought these items here. Is this, like, when someone goes, comes to your apartment and visits you, is it one of those things that kind of like is the the, the talk? Well, like they always everyone ask. notices them. Yeah, yeah every, they always ask because my aesthetic for clients and you know for work is very var- varied. Um, so this is the sort of thing that I collect because it's easy to travel with, like these sort of like blue and white dishes. Mm-hmm. Um, having a Portuguese background, um, blue and white um, azulejo, we call it, is blue and white hand painted tile. Um, and, you know, just I've always loved it, and I love the fact that you could mix varying genres of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this piece here is Portuguese, um, and then this piece here is Japanese. It's actually oh. a sake bottle oh, cool. um, from the early 20th century. So what it kind of exemplifies is that it was big enough for two people, so it just kind of shows that two people were having a very good time and they were sharing um, you know, a moment. Um, and that's the thing with Japanese sort of um, ceramics that I'm really intrigued by is that they, they're meant to tell a story, whether it's the size, the proportion, the motif. And these sort of like cracks um, that you see on them, they're actually revered. Like you're, they're special if there are cracks and chips because it means that the history of the piece is authentic um, and true and it means that it, it, it was used. So I kind of like that. It also makes them a, lo- a little less expensive to purchase. <laughs> Where did you find it? Um, so this one was in Lisbon in Huitzambanto, mm-hmm. which is like right mm-hmm. in the middle of Lisbon. It's a, a, a street just dedicated to antique shops. Um, these two guys came with me from Barcelona because they were easy oh. to pack on a business trip. Um, and this guy came from London. 
So oh, nice. I, I like like antiquing or yeah. I mean, I'm in antique stores quite often for clients, so I sometimes can't help but pick up for myself. <laughs> nice. So do you like travel heavy then, or do you? I mean, like because you always have to like bring back stuff and just like fill your suitcase with things that you buy abroad. Yeah. I mean, I think if somebody took a snapshot of how I used to pack about like a decade and a half ago and how I pack now. There's a huge difference. I mean, when you're going for, for work, it sort of has to be very strategic. You know, you're coming off a plane, going to a meeting, and you want to look like two suitcases. Right. So I pack very compactly, um, but I always have a portfolio of materials that I'm bringing, whether mm-hmm. they're for the client. So that's where I stash those, the smaller pieces because it's kind of like padded and easy to carry. So. Nice. So let's segue to work. Um, can you describe like your average day at work? Um, I think what people perceive interior design to be a little bit. Um, it is very creative. We are doing a lot of creative things. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm running the business of interior design for my company. So a lot of multitasking is happening. I mean, we're in crisis management all the time. Um, and we're... My days are kind of, they're, they're varied, which is one of the things I love about the work that I do is that no day is ever how you plan it. No day is what you think it's going to be. Um, but at the same time, no matter what happens, you have to get what you need to get done for your clients. So, Are you mostly like on-site or at the office? It's both. So okay. we try to plan our time as, as efficiently as possible. We have two studios, one in Tribeca mm-hmm. and one in Hudson, so that's like about two and a half hours away from, from New York City. So when we are going up to Hudson, we're, we're managing our time very efficiently. We're going to like three different site visits, meeting with contractors, furniture makers, other team members, clients up there. Um, and then when we're in the studio, I'm sourcing in New York City predominantly um, and in the studio, putting together drawing, presentations, um, talking to vendors. A lot of vendor contact happens you know, they're sort of like our bloodline because they're making everything that you're dreaming up on this piece of paper actually happen. So you're walking them through a lot of, like, questions, details, and things like that. What is actually the – how does the des- design process go? So it, it's different for every firm. Our firm is very client-centric. Um, we don't really have a look that people come to us for. So it's not like we're always doing lacquer tables. You know, like a designer like Jonathan Adler, and I'll just – say him because everybody kind of like knows his, his sort of aesthetic is like lacquer, brasses, metals, like, and you know what you're going to get. For us, we're celebrating our 25th year next year. Wow. Um, so Dennis, one of the principals of the firm, started off with really listening to the clients. And yes, he brought his expertise to the table, but the clients really kind of navigate the course and what the, the aesthetic that they're looking for. So we start off um, with a wish list. And it's kind of like opening up a book and trying to create a summary of it. So a lot of our clients have dreamt about these spaces for their entire lives. And now they have like the opportunity to make them happen. So we have to find out what their, what their wishes are. Do so, most, because I mean, from my experience as a designer, people don't usually know what they want. They don't. <laughs> they don't. Like, how do you kind of like get what they want out of them? Well, we... Uh, we start with the wish list of what they think that they want. That's where we kind of like start. And we start, we start to hear. And one of the things about being a designer is you have to listen to like these like little tones, nuances that they sort of share with you because that's where like the secrets are. Sometimes they're describing something and, you know, a lot of the times they're finance people or engineers, and they, they don't know the language of design, so they could show you pictures of what they like, and they could show you ideas or things that they grew up with. So you're kind of dissecting that, and you're trying to figure out what it is that they like. I guess um, it's like asking the right questions, too. Yeah, yeah. And, and we keep it very dreamy because we, we try to do this wish list, which is the first step, outside of the office. We don't want them to sort of say, well, you know that door over there? We want to open, like, we want them exactly. to kind of dream. Just think, do you want a loft space? Do you want open plan, closed plan. And we try to think very big so they're not thinking about the space mm-hmm. because we could try to make anything kind of happen for them, but we won't be able to do that unless we know what they want. 
So that's sort of like the wish list. And then we kind of create a parameter, which we call schematic design. Um, and it's sort of like, all right, well, you have all these wishes, but what's your timeline like? Do you want mm -hmm. this tomorrow? Do you want this like two years from now? Um, what's your budget? You know, right. sometimes we have to educate clients on what things really cost. Um, or we could work with a budget that they This sort is of the say, part where you break their hearts yeah. and say we can't achieve what, no, what you want. No, we, we kind of, we navigate that and we try to prioritize. Okay. And maybe they had 20 things on that wish list. And we're like, look, with this budget, we could do five things from this list. But they're going to be the best five things ever. And they're going to be the ones that are most important to you. Okay. So at that time, we have enough information to know what they want how much they're willing to spend, and how much time we have to get this all done. Um, and then we, that's when the creative process happens for us. Because what we don't want to happen is show them this amazing design, all these wonderful things, and it's like, wah, wah, you can't have it. You know? yeah. So we try to kind of guide them through that. So then when we are showing them designs, they're things that we know we could give them. And then they get really excited because their dream, their wish – starts to become a reality with like materials, paint colors, inspiration images, and they're like, wow, this is really coming together. Mm -hmm. So, and then the execution part starts. Yeah, is that your, I guess that's your favorite part of the process, the execution? Uh, yeah, I like, the, I like the making it happen, but the one thing um, that really drives me to sort of like love what I'm doing um, is like when you nail it. You sort of like, nice. you hear all these like, dreams and aspirations and then you give it to the client they're like whoa this, this is, is a little exactly, scary yeah. yeah and it's a connection it's a bond That's that you nice. have with these people that you barely know mm -hmm. and it's like you you got it and that feeling is like it's good it's, yeah it's sort of what but like I guess also like the the scouring process like part of the process is what brings you to different places um do you like doing that yeah I mean we Depending on where the project is or what the client likes, I mean, sometimes clients like specific pieces that are not in New York, so we do have to travel. Um, and that's when we kind of get to go and, like, really source elsewhere. We had a project in London, so I got the chance to kind of navigate a whole new city, which is crazy because I know New York very well. I know what to get here, what to get there. Mm -hmm. But when you're kind of given a new city to, to explore and to figure out strategically because you, you know, you do it in a time-effective manner, um, it's, it's exciting because you're getting to know new vendors. And that's what I like bringing back to them, the clients that don't have the opportunity to get out there. Yeah. That's what they have me for. So yeah, You brought these um, wallpapers. I really like them. I think my friend Rebecca who's here, who designed this space, actually would love these Which things. Big props to Rebecca because yeah. this place is awesome. These wallpapers, um, where, did you, oh, sorry, where did you get these? So these are House of Hockney. Um, they're a London-based firm. And they're, so Shoreditch in London, I didn't know any of this, so you guys are learning with me. Um, I stayed in, like, the Brooklyn of London, basically. What, um, what does it It's called Shoreditch. Oh, Shoreditch. So it's sort know. of, like, very hipstery and fun. And this sort of wallpaper company started to kind of screen print these, these um, patterns that are a bit traditional. So they'll take kind of, like, these traditional stripes and then put some, you know, Avery sort of like motifs and then these like florals. Um, but they're doing them in like these pretty fresh colors that kind of translate like modern day things into like a traditional way of doing them. Um, and then, you know, I, I tend to pack a lot of wallpapers and fabric samples because they're easy to carry. <laughs> um, so this particular team, they went to Glasgow, the school of design out there in Scotland, and they have a studio in London. And they use um, what you call this copper plate technique, which is they're engraving the copper plates and then they're printing them. And the difference between copper and steel is that copper is like a much softer metal. So the prints become much softer and they're not as like abrasive and as distinct. Mm. So if you look yeah. closely, these are like moths and sort of like patterned, you know, butterfly wings. And, you know, this, this is very London, I guess the scene there right now. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just, I'm intrigued by like the technique most of all, but yeah, they were like a really cool sort of like studio to get to know. Yeah. So we've used it in projects here in, in New York. So I love this flow. We're actually on like the yeah. a good uh, flow of this thing. <laughs> so you, you travel a lot. Can you talk about like, um, 
Or can you name maybe three cities that are like on top, like taking the center stage and the design trends? Um, is like London like textile and like? Or? Yeah, there. I mean, the the scene in London right now is these sort of like young lighting designers. Um, like Michael Anastides is one of them. Lee Broom is another. Um, so they're taking like these like really kind of modern shapes and adding LED lights to them. So they're still kind of sustainable, but they're like kind of like these fresh designs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of a big scene in London right now. And then there are a few other cities that I love to visit that are sort of like happening, like Mexico City is like another amazing place that I'd like to visit. The textiles there, the pottery from like Oaxaca's, like this black sort of iridescent, you know, sort of pottery that's very specific to that region of Mexico. So I'm dying to get there. I haven't gotten there yet. Nice. Um, yeah. Um, so, so I'm like what I said, I'm also a designer, but I, when I think of interior design, I think of it as something that it's like the form that hits all five senses. So I feel like it's really something that we're travel, uh, is, comes in very handy because, you know, was there ever a time where, a client asks for something and you had to go through your archive of like things that you brought back from your travels to kind of like, let me bring this candle to my client or like, you know, this whatever, like vase to kind of like show, like help him realize like his design requests. Yeah, we we have a client that we're working with in Armonk um, and he's building like this Tai Chi retreat. So his friends, his family, people that he knows, they're going out to this place that's, you know, beautifully sited with like this big lake on the property, and it's it's really amazing. Um, and he's sort of he always dreamt of like having a space like this, and he looked for property for like twelve years until he found this place. And um, a lot of the landscape was specifically done. to build a tai chi. Yeah, studio. so he actually this property had a building on it already. Um, and he sort of changed it to be this like retreat. So everything inside that house is either reclaimed from the original house. If it's a new material, there has to be like a story to it. So um, everything that these guests kind of like experience has to be part of the experience. So um, these sort of like Himalayan, you know, salt pieces. You know, guest is given a Himalayan piece and they carry it with them through their Tai Chi journey. And it's part of a sculpture and they take it away. So it's theirs for the for the time. And they're putting it back and it, they're interacting with this piece that it could potentially be just decorative. But it's a part of their experience there. So um, just kind of liking um, just ceramic, porcelain, um, you know, china in general... I loved the story of, you know, these sort of like chips and cracks being kind of the story of the piece that was. So going to London, we came across this gallery um, in Mira Laboon. Um, it's a tiny like little place with all of these beautiful Japanese ceramic pieces. And they're modern day artists that are taking this idea of the chip, the mist, and they're creating like these modern pieces. So I, I I took pictures and I brought a little piece back for him um, just so he could tell the story authentically. Yes, of course, we could come to New York and like source something here. Um, but it was more the story that these like modern day artisans are really kind of looking to the past and creating things that you experience right now. So that was sort of the, the vibe and one of the things I kind of brought back. And yeah. he was really appreciative because the shapes that they're doing, the colors are still very modern, very pure to the space because he didn't want anything that was too hand-painted or too decorative or too embellished. So they're taking the idea and keeping it more organic and, and yeah, and How do you find all these um, small, like, artisans, like, where you bring back these things from? I mean, I try Especially to... Especially when you're traveling. I try to do as much research as I can. I mean, I have, like, city lists. Like, so I'll read an article and I'm just sort of like, oh, I would like to go to Mexico City. So I'm starting a one for Mexico City. Mm-hmm. You know, so I try to do... I mean, but a lot of the time it's it's project driven. It's sort of like, I'm going to be in London, you know, for Art Deco furniture for this client. So I'm going to do research on Art Deco designers. And that's the nice thing about where I work is that we're not just doing one specific style. So I kind of get to know, 
different styles that you know and, and vendors that are their specialties in this particular genre of, mm-hmm. of furniture or you know lighting or whatever it is. What about like the small you know small like just like mom and pop like they're not even like how do you well a lot of them are next to ones that you find you know okay. so I try to go I mean London has like a lot of markets and things like that so you'll hit one store on this street but then the guy next door and then the other guy that doesn't have a website and you're like can you take right. pictures you know that's those are the people that you do want to find because mm. they're they're the secrets you yeah. know was there ever what was the most uh ridiculous requests you've gotten from a client uh, <laughs> like ridiculous in like a, maybe like a good or bad way. I, can I say it's specific? It's a very yeah. specific yeah. Uh, request. Um, yeah, in residential design, no, no request is ever ridiculous because you've got to make it happen no matter if you're like, wait, what did you say? <laughs> uh, um, but we had a client um, who, you know, we're looking at exterior paint colors and it's sort of like we're doing this like very dark exterior and he's, we're like, well, you know, we have to look at the window frames and the trim and, you know, what, what kind of, what, we're showing him like grays and things that are kind of more natural. He's like lipstick red. And we're all like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Did you just say lipstick red? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I want it to be lipstick red. And we're okay. like, okay. So I go into my bag and I bust out my red lipstick and yeah. then we color code accordingly. And it was like, no, nice. a little bit more pink. And he was very specific. So I guess wow. something in his life okay. marked a very lipstick red um, kind of thing. And he was a very whimsical client. So mm-hmm. the fact that he's pulling into this house and he knows it's like this request that he made he was just he was fun about it he never took design like too seriously so he appreciated good design Mm -hmm. but he wanted something to kind of smile about so that was his like his little secret with us so there's a website um there's a few designers here in the audience but there's a website called clients from hill (laughs) but they're usually for like web design and like graphic design there's one cartoon that's so funny it says so like the the designer gives the logo i'm like why is this orange i'm like you said orange. I'm like, oh, that was a typo. I meant purple. Like, <laughs> it really? happens. Yeah. And people see colors so differently. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so the firm that you work at uh, specializes in landscaping. Well, you, there's a few services, but one yeah. of the um, things that you guys specialize in is passive. Passive house. I kind of want to show a photo. We sure. have a photo here. And I didn't do, well, I did some research, but I kind of just want you to, like, tell them what, what it's about. So um, Passive House is a, a German building system, in, in a way. Um, it, it basically takes a very tight envelope um, and makes it very efficient. So this particular project we did is in Claverack. It's in the Hudson Valley. We started this project as sort of like an R&D experiment. We, we kind of did it when um, we had extra team members, and we always looked at things that were sustainable, whether it's like geothermal, solar panels. Um, mm-hmm. And then we looked to Germany, who is standardizing this way of building as sort of like, let's, let's investigate, let's see what, what this um, passive house is all about. So it doesn't take fancy technology because technology is moving so fast that if you're building a house, you're not going to go and change all of your systems in like five years. Um, So we wanted it to be about the craftsmanship of the house, which is like very consistent with our brand and like the type of building that we do. So we looked to um, this institute that basically standardizes this way of building, which is a super insulated building in essence. Think about it as like a thermos. So the way that a thermos stays warm, if the liquid is warm, is because it's not touching anything on the outside. So they call it a thermal break. And every house, our house, it's very drafty. There's a ton of thermal breaks. Like you touch the glass and it's cold because it's Mm -hmm. cold outside. So in this form of building, the the panes, we do triple pane glass, triple layers of glass. So when you touch it on the inside, you're not feeling what that cold is or hot or heat is on the outside. So we do that for the entire building. So we super insulate this envelope and the insulation um, could be recycled denim. They're exploring like mushrooms. They're using all these sort of like natural products to give you a super insulated um, 
building envelope, it's called. Mm -hmm. So what happens is you look at the site, you look at the land and how you want to position this house, and you think about how much sun you're getting in the winter and how much you know, sun you don't want to get in the summer. And you kind of site the house or you work with what you have if it's an already existing building, and you, you make the sun kind of like work for you. The thing, the concern of, of these homes is sort of like, well, if it's so tight and it's a thermos, am I going to be able to like breathe okay? Is it going to yeah. be? So we have what's called an air exchange that's constantly taking out the air that's in the building and pumping fresh air in. But that yeah. fresh air is, is controlled in its temperature. Mm-hmm. And that's the only kind of technology that's really in there. And it's a very simple mechanism. So what happens with these houses is that nine, they're using 90% less energy, you know, so 90% less heat and 80% less cool. So it's, they're super efficient. And when people are building houses, sometimes second homes or first homes, they want to feel good about this investment that they're making. And one, they want to make sure that they're not working for the house, but the house is working for them. Um, so this sort of thing kind of caught on and this was our first project in the Hudson Valley. And because we worked with a local, uh, a local contractor that we've done extensive, you know, normal built homes with Bill Stratton, um, he and his team, they were discovering with us and we, we wanted to make this house a little bit different than every passive house. So if you guys Google passive house, you'll see sort of like boxes with very few windows because you're controlling all of the sun. Is the the shape intentional? Yeah. So I think you have the next picture, Marinelle. Yeah. We said, well, we're not going to make a box with little windows. Oh, sorry. I think it was the one before. So we have, it's fine. Um, We, we, this sort of last kind of um, opening is all glass. And it's, we sort of said, no, we're not going to make this like the smallest, you know, windows. And we're going to give it one of the biggest sort of exposures with the biggest window. So this kind of broke boundaries a little bit for passive house design because it's sort of like, whoa, how did you guys get this window to be so big? And this house is relatively modest in size. It's about 1,500 square feet. Um, so there's a kitchen, you know, there are two bathrooms, there's living area, dining area. Um, and we kind of said everything that a passive house is known for, we want to do it a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how we kind of um, did this first house. Um, did anyone live here? So the contractor that kind of you know went on this journey with us, he was the first resident of the house. And it was ideal for us because we really wanted to see, okay, well, is this all that it's cracked up to be? How is this house performing? So he lived there for like a year and a half or so, and we monitored the performance of the house. We were sort nice. of like, okay, well, if we're going to share this with clients, we've got to make sure that one, you know, what we're saying is fact, and yeah. you know, we ran the numbers. So this was not for a client. This was your, pro- your this project. This was yeah. Eventually, it got it was sold to now a private resident um, lives there. But yeah, it was it was a sweet little house that, you know, was kind of um, a research and development project for us, and we went on to do more of this sort of passive building. Mm-hmm. So like this one is this, for a client. Yeah. So this house um, is a different client, new person. They came to us wanting something that was sort of prefab. And prefab is sort of like, you know, a kit of parts of a house and you buy it as is and you put these modular pieces together. Um, but then we started to kind of talk to him about this passive house thing that we were doing. And he was really game for it. And he wanted to live there very quickly so what we did was a little bit different in this house. The top portion of it above the windows in the corner is actually a reclaimed dairy barn from, you know, upstate New York, mm-hmm. uh, maybe 40 minutes away from uh, where this property actually is. And it was taken apart. It was like it was white and falling apart. And I went to the site visit where we sort of said, this is the one that we want. You're kind of like picking out a car, but it's a house. It's a barn. And we were scared to go in it. <laughs> it was really dilapidated and had been on this property for years, and nobody really took care of it. But it, the intricacy of the beams were really Perfect. exceptional. Yeah. So we kind of had this contractor take the whole thing apart, put it back together. And then what we created for him down below was a passive apartment. So this kind of turns into his like guest house. Um, Is and this it, the red lipstick guy? How did you know? Because of the red? <laughs> yes. Oh, all right. 
So there are bigger windows on the other side. Um, and then while we were kind of, we gave him a place to experience upstate, and he lived in that apartment for a little while as we designed this house. And he kind of got a taste for, like, what it was like to kind of live in a passive envelope. And he's like, yeah, you know, it's, it, the air actually feels a little bit different. Um, and it costs absolutely, you know, a lot less than a regular sort of guest house would cost. So as we were kind of planning this bigger house um, up the hill, he was able to experience the land and, like, living upstate. And he figured out, you know, well, what do I like to do upstate? And we knew that, you know, he liked to read a lot and he liked to do certain things. So that first sort of barn slash, you know, passive apartment gave us a lot of insight as to how he how he wanted to, like, live. Yeah. So what is this area Right here. So this is the sauna tower. Um, sauna tower. All right. So he came to us with a bunch of pictures. I want a sauna tower. <laughs> we all want a sauna tower. <laughs> Was that like a request? I want a sauna tower. So it, it evolved. He came to us wanting a tree house. And we're like, okay. tree house. Okay. <laughs> um, so he had these beautiful images of these houses in the trees. And we kind of like wanted to realize that for him. So that the house back in, in the sort of like top left corner, that's the main house, and that's nestled in trees. But he sort of wanted to climb in these trees. So we're okay. like, all right. <laughs> and then he figured out, you know, I try to eat a lot of my meals outside. I come out with like a plate and I just, you know, sit by the apartment and I just like, like to be, you know, in nature. So we kind of came up with this idea, which is a a tower adjacent to the building where he kind of, you know, has like a, a catwalk in a way and he walks up to the sauna tower. That first level, he's able to dine there. It's a screened porch. So wow. lots of bugs in upstate New York. So the glamour of eating outside, you know, quickly mm-hmm. subsides when there's like mosquitoes everywhere. So this kind of keeps it easy for when he wants to eat out there. And then the top up there is a perch. So he's, he has like these really beautiful, expansive views, and we kind of gave him a swinging day bed up there. So and wow. then yeah, and then the last part is the sauna, um, which he's it's wearing a very awesome robe he bought from one of his travels. Um, oh, that's him. Yeah. Okay. And uh, he's you know he likes to cut his own wood and he likes to feed the fire. So, you know, we kind of worked with him to kind of have him be a part of, of course, the experience. But he's sort of like, no, I like that he bought, you know, a thing that cuts wood, an axe, and he started cutting wood, like, when he was up there. So we kind of um, evolved in the design. And then the inside of the house, he wanted it to be very kind of simple and just nothing too precious that he's like, I don't want to not touch it or lay on it. Um, Did any of the interior design choices you made like have anything to do with the whole energy sufficient? Yeah, everything in the house is, um, I mean, including the adhesives that are behind the walls, like that are joining, you know, sheetrock and things like that. Everything had to be like run by him and just as non-toxic as it could possibly be. So we used a lot of, like, reclaimed materials. Um, That's eastern pine for the timbers. All of the lights are LED lights. Um, We worked with a Brooklyn-based designer um, to do that eBay. It's, like, reclaimed um, eBay for the lights. You know, walnuts, uh, (coughs) mosaics, you know, and concrete... um, tiles and easy to clean he doesn't you know he's coming in with like muddy boots he didn't want anything like too precious that he can't you know tiptoe around so looks really nice can i live here yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh whoops he can't show that not yet um yes um so you've been with the firm for more than five years yeah seven years that's going on Yeah. yeah And you've made some very impressive moves, like landing that um, cover of a New York Times home section. Um, what does it take to achieve something like that in the design world? I, I mean, I look at what I've done, and I feel like it's so insignificant. I don't think I've done anything. I, I you know, I, I really respect these sort of, like, pioneers that are doing amazing things in, like, the design industry and just thinking about it differently. You know, so I think I have a long journey to go. But I, Do you have any advice to anyone who wants to pursue? 
Yeah, I think be ready for a lot of hard work because it's it is you know these requests come in and you have to like kind of manage your time to making them happen. Um, you have to have a roll up your sleeves kind of attitude too. It's sort of like when we're installing, we're helping the movers move things. You know, there mm-hmm. there's very little little glamour and all of it. You know, yeah. we're we're down and dirty with the people that are actually getting the stuff done. So, but I find that very rewarding. But I think mm-hmm. somebody has to be prepared for that aspect yeah. of it. Um, but it's the fun aspect too, because you kind of get to see the behind the scenes sort of stuff that happens. Um, and the, I, sorry. Oh. No, go ahead. <laughs> Do you have like a, a favorite or like a, a memorable advice that you've received from a mentor or I, you want to pass on to? Yeah, I think that. Um, one of the principals at the firm just sort of shared a quote that I think is going to live with me forever. And it's sort of like, you could only define yourself by the things that you've done, not what you want to do, you know, because tomorrow you don't know what tomorrow will bring. So what you're doing today, you should just be really proud of what you're doing. Do it as best as you possibly can and hope that, you know, when you're looking at it in the future, you look back and you're, that's what's defining you. So mm-hmm. it's, it, and that's why I sort of think like I haven't done anything, you know, that I still, there's so, so much humble. more to do now. <laughs> there's so much more to do. And, and it's sort of like, you just do what feels right, you know? Yeah. So yeah, cool. that's it. That's it. Nice. That's it. I think we're going to uh, jump into our, um, should we do show and tell first? No, we're going to do the rapid fire round. All right. So last month we did a rapid fire round and we did a, um, what did we do? Oh, we kind of like did like a and or with our guest, Jeremy. But tonight we're going to do over and under. So I'm going to say something mm-hmm. and then you tell me if it's overrated or underrated. Okay. Okay. Um, design awards. Overrated. You think so? Yeah. I was, I was kind of, for a while, I had a phase where I'm like, I want to enter the young guns, like ADC young guns, mm-hmm. and like win something to kind of like, that'll be my validation. No? You don't? I, I think that it's sort of like, of course, in our industry, we need these things to happen to keep us competitive. But I think it's overrated because I think a lot of amazing designers are not the ones getting the awards. They're the ones doing the stuff that they really like and they're really good at. And they're the secrets. They're the ones that don't have the website. And, you know, so I don't know. I think they're a little overrated. Okay. Okay. Um, Bidet toilets. Oh, my goodness. Well. (laughs) Overrated, underrated. Totally underrated. I am still looking for the most amazing ergonomic toilet there is out there. <laughs> okay. That is a genre of design that yes. should be tapped. There you go. Uh, subway tiles. Underrated or overrated? Totally underrated because you know what? They've been done, yes, a million times over, but they're such a mundane material that you'll never get sick of. You this walk is in, subway tiles, huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll never get sick of it. It's sort of like we walk into these houses, these older historic homes, and you still see it, and it still looks fresh, and still looks, you know, contemporary. So I think they're a little underrated. Um, Pinterest. I have to say that's overrated. Really? Yes. <laughs> you don't use it for, like, mood boards or... I do. You probably come in with your like portfolio or whatever this is that you carry like <laughs> I do instead no, of like a Pinterest board I, I do I I think sometimes it gets like you know a little crazy when it's sort of like you know all these like do it yourselves and no one is doing it themselves like they make it seem so simple and it is not that thing is not six steps so that's why I think it's a little overrated yeah. um but I still use it as a tool and actually secret to everyone um Pinterest has better pictures than Google because Google has see? that whole yeah. you know figuring you out knowing what you like to see and you keep seeing the same thing over and over again um but Pinterest doesn't and yeah. Michael and I have found that out out the hard ways, <laughs> scour the you know the web for townhouse, whatever it is, inspiration images we're looking for, and you keep mm-hmm. seeing the same ones. And you go on Pinterest and you see some, something different. Yeah, so. also recipes. 
Yeah, are they real? Yeah. Yeah. All right, I'm going to try. We're we're going to share a few tips. (laughs) We're going to exchange some boards. (laughs) Any referrals will be welcome, recommendations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Baths. Underrated. Yeah. I love me a good bathtub. Yeah. It's beautiful. Baths. Does this have a bathtub? Yeah. Right there on the right-hand side. That's a, oh, yes. I thought it was a sink. <laughs> a big one. Um, what about all white everything? I think that's overrated. You think? Yeah. It's a combination that you'll never get tired of, but I have to say you've got to, I like contrast a lot. I think it does very dynamic things to color. Um, so I think, I think you've got to throw a little bit of something else in there. Yeah. Yeah. But it's nice to kind of like, you know, it's easy to design because yeah, it's and all it's white. serene. I mean, people have yeah. been doing it because they feel good in an all white space. They feel comfortable. You know, it's a very pure sort of environment. Galleries do it because you know you're going in there with a clear head and needing to focus on on what they're. But I guess it's also like to. hard to make it look homey and lived in because it looks too sterile or you know. Yeah, need warm woods. Yeah. Warmer. Whites. Okay. We're going to do the show and tell part now. And for this one, we're going to need some audience uh, participation. Mm-hmm. We need a volunteer like a from the audience. consultation. You're going to get something awesome. Anyone? You're going to get a virtual consultation, and only Marinelle can put me up right. to this. <laughs> Eric, you want to do it? Okay. Let's get. Do you have a mic? <laughs> so, I mean. How we decorate our home is usually very telling of who we are. Um, so just, yeah, just sit there. Um, but sometimes we need professional help uh, to decorate our home. So Eric is going to get a free consultation from Elaine. And since it's the holidays coming up, I figured, well, you haven't, have you decorated your, ha- your home yet before the holidays? Good. So you're going to get this. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to ask you questions, and then Elaine will tell you how to Decorate your house. There you go. Just like that. <laughs> Just like that. Shiny or matte? Matte. Matte. Okay. High maintenance or low maintenance? Low maintenance. Okay. <laughs> okay. Which room would you favor? Mid-century modern on the right. On the right. Okay. <gasps> Lux or eco? Lux. Oh. Maximalist or minimalist? Minimalist. Pick a dog. French bulldogs. French bulldogs. Awesome. Obviously. Okay. So. Shout out to Ozzy. She's not here, though. (laughs) That that one. Okay. So for you, Eric, (laughs) I recommend for the holidays, designing with natural foliage like succulents, Reinterpreting a wreath in something a little bit more organic in shape. I mean, we're showing sort of like a semicircle here, but you could, you know, do something a little bit more oval. Um, for your table setting during your holiday, um, I wouldn't do anything that has the traditional green and red sort of motif. I would go with pure, more minimal colors like black and white. Um, and I would kind of really embrace the celebration of, you know, having a meal together in a sort of organic kind of configuration of fresh cut plants and fruit. So nice. That's my Amazing. Cool. <laughs> you win a Christmas tree. Just kidding. You get a tote bag from Barla's Budlick. Thank you. Thank nice. you. Um, thanks, Eric. We're going to jump to Q&A. Open the floor for questions. Don't be shy. I'm shy too. Anyone? Oh, there you go. Okay. Um, we try to be there very early on in the process, you know, so hence why I was kind of peeking at that dairy barn that we were looking to salvage. I mean, we're, we're looking at projects holistically. So the interior design department is like very involved in like the initial kind of, um, 
decisions like square footage. If this client is asking for X amount of like bedrooms, we're confirming that, you know, this overall square footage would really accommodate this many bedrooms, this kitchen, this big. So we're involved pretty early. And that's when we get to look at the sites that our clients are looking at, you know, looking at houses that they're looking to, you know, restore or build on. Um, so we we're involved pretty early on and we're on site early on a lot of the time. Um, and then we kind of like hit the drafting table and we design, design, design. Um, at the same time, we're trying to design with like real things and real pieces. So we have to go look at a lot of these elements, whether it be the timbers that we're salvaging or like staining and things like that. Um, and then the installation part, we're on site a lot. Even you? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm... Yeah, I mean, we work very collaboratively, but at the end of the day, the client is looking at me <laughs> for right. delivering the product mm-hmm. um, and the project on time. And, you know, our contractors love us towards the end because the interiors, we're the ones putting up the little sticky notes for like punch lists and everything like that because we're looking at these things a little bit closer. Um, and it's sort of like, oh, scuff mark here, you know, that there, like this outlet needs to be changed to like a darker color, whatever it is. I mean, the architects, of course, are doing a lot of that, but we're installing the space. So we're, we're touching it a little bit more closer towards the end. And for installations, we, we live there. We live there for a few days, depending on how big the project is. Wow. So, yeah. Anyone else? Cool. Thanks for the question. Anyone else? Don't be shy. I have a question. Do you have like a um, a favorite Instagram that you follow for inspiration? Um, yeah, I I follow a lot of interior designers. Aside from eighty Mag, obviously. <laughs> obviously. <Yeah. laughs> um, props to the all the yoga you're doing. <laughs> oh my god, lately. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm doing it vicariously through you. Nice. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I follow a lot of interior designers and architects that I, I really like, and they're posting either sources that they're finding, you know, they're hashtagging places, they're checking into places. I mean, I'm not a huge, like, Facebook person, you know, I'll, yeah, I, I, I do it more for, like, work and things like that, but Instagram, I find a lot of, like, great resources, um, and, like, you know, um, of course, I can't think of any right now, Um but, you know, I find, you know, people like this guy named Patrick that has a bazillion followers and he posts nothing about design. And I still like <laughs> looking at the lifestyle he's living. Um, and a lot of like photojournalists, a lot of the photographers uh. that we work with, I love following them mm-hmm. just because, I mean, the, the photographer we worked with on the Dwell Project, he travels everywhere. I mean, he's like in, you know, like everywhere. Peter Aaron is another photographer that we work with. He's, he's tra- like one day he's like in London, the next day he's in Dubai. And, you know, the next day he's like in Korea and you're just like, whoa. And, and it's kind of really seeing the world through somebody else's eyes. And that's really inspiring. He'll post things on, you know, about art and things like that. that- Instagram is probably also a good resource for like finding, um, you know, vendors. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And people friend. So they sort of like you know, because I'll hashtag a, a few things that are interior design related, and this lighting designer will reach out to me and just sort of say, hey, like, let's collaborate. And he's, like, in Tennessee. Like, where would I ever find this person, you know, unless, yeah. like, we connected. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and we've, we've actually found a lot of um, resources that way. So, nice. yeah. Cool. Questions? Why is everyone shy? Any questions? Okay, there you go. How would you describe your workflow with contractors? It varies by contractor, you know. So we 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 work with like a lot of tried and true contractors that we've had a relationship with. So we kind of know what we're kind of into with them, and we sort of like know sometimes um, that you know we'll have to like monitor the schedule a little bit more just because they're they just need our facilitation to like answer questions and things like that. Um, but it varies from contractor to contractor. In New York City, there are these things that buildings have that you actually can't perform work for longer than X amount of time. Oh, and wow. yeah, and your client is signing off on that. So once mm-hmm. that overtime happens, they're getting charged fees. <laughs> so our contractors in New York City work like 
warp speed because <laughs> their clients are going to be knocking on the door and being like, well, I'm not paying for these fees. You promised this, you know, this project to be delivered on time. So, and then in upstate New York, they're amazing craftsmen. And these, they're like modern day, like masters. I have to say, like we detail things sometimes in the office and they execute them beautifully. And they're, they're really amazing craftsmen. So we try not to rush them, you know, and we, we really kind of explain to the client, look, it's really important that they get this done right because, you know, X reason. So their flow is a little bit more relaxed. You know, upstate New York usually means people are just toned down a few notches. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just, you know, but they're still amazing executors of just all this crazy stuff that we throw at them. Yeah. So it depends, you know. How do you feel about replica furniture? Like, how, how do I feel about what? Replica furniture, like a, like a replica on a Gucci table, a replica Eames, anything. I, you know what, I sort of, I have mixed feelings about it because, you know, this one designer, like you'll take like a Hans Wagner, you know, he, he, because of his remarkable design, you know, we, we have like this ergonomic chair that we all love. So the replica, I know it's, it's attainable for us all that can't, you know, drop $2,000 on a side chair. Um, But an alternative to it is finding craftsmen that are doing almost the same thing they're inspired by it but it's their original design and mm. etsy is a huge resource for that i mean you you could just and sometimes don't be shy about contacting like a furniture designer that does something kind of like it but you're sort of like hey can you reinterpret this on your own and then not only are you supporting you know a local craftsman that is relying on etsy for you know pay and and his well-being but you're also supporting maybe the next hans wagner you know, so it's sort of like, I, I know it's, it's so tempting because we're like, oh, this is only like, you know, $100, you yeah. know, but it's sort of like, you know, just trying to find a more proper, yeah, yeah, alternative, you know, and just feel, you'll feel good about it because you'll work with this, you know, designer, you're not buying it from like, you know, a mass marketed company and, and you'll have some input too, so. So are you saying you don't own any replica furniture? I... <laughs> I try not to. I think we're all guilty of, you know, just finding what we're able to, like, afford. And, you know, I'll be the first. I love West Elm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love, like, you know, off-the-shelf resources. And, you know, know, it's our option. And that's what I could afford. I'm not affording, like, a, you know, two, three, four thousand dollar side chair. But I try to make, you know, conscious decisions. Do you shop at Ikea? Yes. You do? I love Ikea. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that they're brilliant. I mean, not only do they have to figure out how this stuff is going to look great, but they have to pack it in a way that we can all afford it. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, no, I think that they're, they're, you know, just genius. Scandinavia in general, they're just, Mm -hmm. they're they're great sort of um, resources for awesome furniture. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have a question? They work with the elements instead of locking it out. Like, uh, for instance, I went to Guatemala and like I climbed one of the buildings because it was like a friend's family, and I was looking down into the houses, and you can see how they have different things set up from when the sun to rise so they can dry their clothes. The rain, they had like a system set up because the water is kind of hard to get, so they had like the rainwater would be in this area yeah. so they can use it. So mm-hmm. it's like they're working with the elements. Instead of blocking it out, like mm. I never got like inspiration from you know trying to instead of you know separating it, blending it together. Instead of mm. just... Absolutely, I I think that um, passive house especially like we're we're working directly with the sun. The sun, you know, the exposure of these like windows, like we're putting those into calculations, and the sun is like doing a lot of the work of the house, you know? And, yeah, and I think for clients, a lot of the times, like, those cistern systems where, like, you're collecting rainwater, we have a lot of clients that want a farm-to-table lifestyle. That's why they're moving upstate, you know? They really want to be close to the land. They want to cultivate their lettuce, you know? So we do use, like, sort of, like, water systems, you know, cistern is one of them, but we're exploring actually other ways of doing it too, like actually recycling water on the property. Um, yeah. And, and I think, 
I think more and more people are trying to get closer to the elements as opposed to like fighting them. And I think that you you realize one how powerful nature is. Um, and yeah, you you just embrace the fact that it's there to help you if you know how to make it work for you. You know, but yeah, for sure. Any other questions? Going once, <laughs> going twice. Nope. All right. I think that wraps it up. Um, I hope we're okay with not using the mic for the Q and A because this is recorded live. Whatever. We'll we'll um, figure it out post. But thank you guys for coming. Um, thank you, Elaine, for thank being you for here. Thank you for having me. Thank you guys so much for listening to me. <laughs> I'm so happy we didn't break anything that you brought. Uh, I was worried about them. Uh, again, thank you, Enco, for hosting us here. I think there's more food at the bar. Um, there are more drinks at the bar. I think don't forget to tip my girlfriend, Lauren, if you want more booze. But I think that's it. Cool. Thank you, guys. Um, thank you for Thanks for coming. Me. This episode was produced by 80 Magazine. 80 is a large format design-driven quarterly. Inside, you'll find the most enthralling bits of Jersey City, from profiles of local luminaries to in-depth looks at up-and-coming neighborhoods. Visit 80mag.com and follow at 80mag on Instagram and Twitter. Subscribe to 80 Profiles on iTunes and help spread the word by rating us.